The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Frank Holland, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show is live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your 5 at 5. We begin with stocks struggling to keep the win streak going as Treasury yields, they creep to their highest level in more than 15 years. Futures are lower. The latest surge in yields coming after yesterday's blowout retail sales report, but not everyone's convinced the consumer will continue spending. Also breaking this morning, President Biden is in Israel for his face-to-face with Benjamin Netanyahu just one day after the deadly and controversial hospital explosion in Gaza. Plus, chip stocks under pressure all around the world after new U.S. restrictions. And then later, getting set for Netflix and what's in store when it reports later today after the bell. It is Wednesday, October the 18th, 2023. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. Welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Let's get you ready to start your day. As always, we kick off the hour with a check on U.S. stock futures. After a mixed session yesterday that saw the Dow extend its win streak to three days, take a look right now. You can see the Dow is in the red. Looks like it would open up about 30 points lower. The S&P and the Nasdaq lower as well. And it appears investors, they are once again turning their attention to bonds, checking treasuries. Normally, we start with the 10-year. Today, we're going to start with the two-year note, Trading off highs not seen since 2006. I'm just going to draw the line. You can see how long ago it's been since we traded at this level. Right now, the two-year note at 5.195 right now. We continue to watch the moves on the two-year. We also want to take a look at, you know, the rest of the bond uh, picture right now. The benchmark 10-year at 4.85, pretty close to its highs of the year right now, trading at levels we haven't seen since 2007. The long bond also getting very close to a 5% yield. We also want to turn our attention to energy. Oil popping to a two-week high this morning on rising Mideast tensions. WTI, the U.S. benchmark, up 2.5%. Brent crude just crossing the 92 bucks a barrel mark right now. You see natural gas under a bit of pressure. And also, same story for gold. Not the under pressure part, rising higher. Sitting at a four-week high right now, you're seeing gold right now up almost 1% right now. You're seeing this sharp decline since the start of the Israel-Hamas war. A lot of investors turning to gold as a safe haven. Okay. That is your U.S. setup. We want to turn our attention back to stocks as we continue to watch the chip sector right now leading the Nasdaq 100 lower in the pre-market. Following news yesterday from the Commerce Department, they, they plan to expand restrictions on exports of high-tech U.S. chips to China. So NVIDIA, one of the biggest names in chips right now, taking a huge hit yesterday. It's down again this morning, as well as chip stocks all around the world. You see NVIDIA down about 1.5%, week to date down about 5%. You're seeing the sharp move to the downside after those restrictions were announced. Our Arjun Kapal, he joins me now from London with much more on this story. Arjun, good morning. Over to you. Good morning, Frank. We are seeing that further fallout from those upcoming U.S. restrictions that plan to prevent the sale 
of more advanced AI chips to China. The new curve specifically banned the sale of slowed-down versions of NVIDIA chips, the H800 and the A800. These are actually allowed to be exported to China under the old restrictions, but Washington now trying to close some of those loopholes in its previous uh, rules. Now, NVIDIA shares closed nearly 5% lower on Tuesday. As you mentioned, they're down around 1.5% in pre-market. And the U.S. moves here are having a ripple effect on the semiconductor stocks globally. Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Co., the world's biggest contract chip maker, down around 2%. Memory chip maker SK Hynix also falling as well. There's a fear here that this growing geopolitical tension could see some of these companies' uh, China revenue hit if restrictions continue to ramp up. However, interestingly, SMIC, China's biggest contract chip maker, saw its Hong Kong shares rise nearly 2% today on the hope these curves might force China to boost its domestic chip industry, which would benefit domestic firms, Frank. All right, so we've been looking at U.S. and China chip stocks. What about the European sector? Are we seeing any spillover? Yeah, across the board here, European chip makers also lower with ASML and ASMI both down in morning trade. That's partly as the negativity around those sanctions continue to ripple through the semiconductor world. But it's also casting doubt over recovery in the broader semi-space, which has been hit with oversupply and falling demand as well. ASML also this morning reported third quarter earnings that beat expectations, but the company warned that it's taking a more, quote, conservative view of 2024 and expects a revenue number similar to 2023. That means 2024 revenue expected to be flat. We've heard warnings from other companies like Samsung already that the chip recovery might take longer than expected, Frank. Our Arjun, thank you very much. Arjun Kapal reporting live from London. Appreciate it as always. All right, we're also following some breaking news overnight. More signals that the bottom for China's economy, it may be in. Data showing Chinese econ- China's economy grew 4.9% year over year in the third quarter topping expectations and second quarter figures. The numbers boosting hopes that the world's second largest economy will meet or even exceed Beijing's target for about 5% growth this year. Asia markets closing mixed on the back of that China data. All right, turn our attention back to the U.S. markets. Inflation, it remains elevated. Interest rates are high and household savings, they are drying up, but it's kind of hard to tell when you look at the latest data on the American consumer. Retail sales coming in much stronger than expected in September. As shoppers, they're still splurging on big ticket items such as cars and more expensive meals and vacations. It's the latest in a string of positive economic data that could complicate matters for the Fed as they debate whether they're done raising rates. But check out today's consumer stat. Retail sales, they may be up year over year, but that's actually down from 3% growth in August. Spending in nearly every discretionary category declined. That cool down in demand is being noted by many corporate executives, including Bank of America CEO Brian Moynihan. Consumers' activity has slowed down. It moves around from which categories, but in the aggregate, across $4 trillion, 37 million uh, checking customers, it's slowed by half. And that means the consumer is being slowed down by the interest rate environment and all the stuff going on. All right, let's discuss this further with Annika Trion, chief economist at Van Slot Kemp. And Annika, good morning. Great to have you here. Morning, Frank. So we're getting some mixed signals when it comes to the consumer, at least here in the United States. What's your, your, your take on the strength of the consumer and how does that inform your opinion about the equities market? Yeah, so we, we believe the consumer is strong. And of course, you see it starting to weaken across the edges, which, which is only to be expected from this level of strength. But to your point, Frank, that makes this inflation problem so complicated. And I think it all, we think it all boils down to the fact that the interest rate sensitivity 
of the economy, especially the US economy, has really come down. So just interest rates are just not working to, uh, to dampen the economy. Yeah, definitely not working to dampen the economy, at least not as much as I think the Fed had hoped, trying to get down to that 2% inflation target. I also want to talk to you about just the higher for longer environment we're in right now. Uh, you recently put out some research calling the, the move higher in yields remarkable. So is it remarkable in a good way for investors and your clients? You're advising them to get more into bonds right now. And if so, is it short term or long term? Yeah, well, it's 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 about one question. Is the Fed, is the bond market doing the work on behalf of the Fed? Or has the Fed lost control over the bond markets? And that's why remarkable is either positive or negative, deciding on how you answer the question. We all know what's happening. We know that there's a huge supply of bonds and there's a lack of demand of bonds because the world's largest buyer is no longer a buyer anymore. Um, and that means that yields go up, prices go down. So we know what's happening. Is that dynamic over yet? Probably not. That's why we're still advising the shorter duration, the shorter end of the curve. But I think more importantly, we are advising our clients to really have a serious calculation of risk. If your risk-free is 5%, you need to really start looking at risk differently. So when you say look at risk differently, obviously you're saying you need a higher risk premium when it comes to equities. But does that mean you stay away from certain sectors? Do you focus more on different sectors? Do you focus more on dividends, for example? Yeah, well, definitely. And I think, Frank, we've spoken about this investment manifesto that we've had in the past, but it's really about getting really nitty gritty and looking at businesses. Because if you look at the broad U.S. equity markets, the risk reward of buying equities in the U.S. just doesn't make sense. You're much better off buying bonds. Added to that is the fact that, you know, analysts are going for more than 10 percent earnings growth next year, which isn't easy considering at the edges you see things starting to weaken. So, again, it's all about specific companies, underlying business okay. models. Where do they have pricing power? So one question for you. I think we're going to be asking all guests about this. Of course, the, the yield on the two years is very attractive right now, basically 5.2 percent. But if we're in higher for longer, why not wait just a bit longer? We'll let those yields just creep up a little bit higher or lock it in on the longer end. And then you have that that that, you know, that risk free five, five percent or so. I'm just looking at the 30 right now, 4.96 percent for a longer period of time. Yeah, and that all boils down to this inverted yield curve, which needs to get to normalization eventually. How is it going to become more normalized? Is the short end going to go up further? Or is it going to be coming from the short end of the curve? Or is it going to be coming from the long end of the curve? So if you lock in these exciting rates, longer term, longer end of the curve, and you see yields continuing to go up because there's still more and more supply coming to the market, then less and less demand, that can be a painful trade. Uh, we feel more comfortable having a stronger accent at the shorter end of the curve, especially looking at the yields that you can get with much less duration risk. It just feels more comfortable. Yeah, I think a lot of uh, investors and portfolio managers are trying to figure out that math right now. Anna Katrian, always great to see you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Let's get a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. Our Bertha Coombs is here with those. Bertha, good morning. Good morning, Frank. Ohio Congressman Jim Jordan will be at it again today after failing to secure enough votes yesterday to become the next Speaker of the House. Jordan, an ally of former President Trump, saw 20 Republican lawmakers vote no on his nomination. He can only afford to lose four. The second round of voting is set for 11 a.m. Eastern. 
The Federal Reserve is reportedly preparing a proposal that would reduce fees banks receive when consumers swipe with debit cards. Today, retailers and restaurants pay 21 cents plus a small percentage of the total transaction amount per swipe. The Wall Street Journal reports that the Fed will likely lower the cap on that amount. A vote on the matter is scheduled for next week. And Elon Musk is testing a $1 a year subscription model in New Zealand and the Philippines that he says could reduce bot usage on X, the platform formerly known as Twitter. Now, the fee will allow users to post content like share or reply to posts. Users who opt out will only be able to read content. So dollar a year, pretty nominal. But I guess, you know, you've got a billion users. It's hard to pay for social media, Bertha. It's always been free. You know, it's not free, Frank. Nothing is ever free. There's no free lunch. They they take your data, so you're paying it one way or another. Bertha, with the wise words, there is a cost to everything in this life. (laughs) Bertha Coombs, we'll see you later on the show. All right, turn our attention back to earnings as Netflix gets set to report Q3 results after the close today. Shares are lower this morning, just adding to a 20% decline since mid-September when executives warned of a growth slowdown in the average revenue per user. The biggest headwind for that metric, 90% of subscriber growth coming from outside the U.S., where users pay lower subscription fees. This quarter, overall revenue is expected to increase by 8%. EPS forecast to rise by 13%. Meanwhile, net subscriber ads is estimated to come in at just under $5.5 million. That's about 7% lower than guidance. Joining me now with his expectations, Jason Bazinet, Citigroup Media and Entertainment Analyst. Jason, good morning. Great to have you here. Morning, Frank. Let's start off with that net subscriber number. Uh, the guidance is a bit higher. They guided that it would be similar to Q2, about 5.89 million, but the estimates are coming in lower. What are you expecting when it comes to net subscriber ads? What's your rating? What's your price target? Yeah, we're buy rated on uh, Netflix, and our target is 500 a share. Um, we are a bit nervous, I would say, about uh, this earnings report. Not so much about what they're going to report in the third quarter. It's more about the guidance they're going to give for the fourth quarter. Um, and so our, our view is we sort of need to have a clearing event on the stock and get sell-side estimates lower before we can get back to the long-term uh, positive story around their ad tier. All right, so $500 price target. So you see a pretty big upside to the stock. Um, I want to ask about that average revenue per user. So the stock's taken a big slide since the investor conference. Executives said they believe that uh, average revenue per user is under a lot of pressure because all the growth's coming from outside the U.S. For example, when you look at Asia, uh, users pay almost half or about half of what they pay here in the U.S. Um, How does Netflix address this issue? And this stock is certainly one that tends to trade on this idea that they're making money per user. Yeah, I don't. I don't think the 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 mix shift is necessarily a, a big negative. But what they do need is a is a counter narrative to sort of allow the average revenue per user to move in the right direction. And where folks rightly had hung their hopes was on Netflix's ad tier, um, because in in total, if you have a lower subscription price plus a lot of ad dollars, you can get more aggregate revenue than you would under the old ad free model. Um, Investor sentiment is, is a little bit dented on that because they, they fired the head of their um, ad unit um, who's only been there about a year. And so, so people know things are not going as well on the ad tier as they hope. I think the ad tier is going to be fine in the long run, but, but that's what we need to see. We need to see more progress on the ad tier to get okay. the ARPUs up. 
So seeing a lot of reports that Netflix is planning to raise prices after the actor's strike is over. What do you think about these reports? What are your thoughts? And does raising price, does that put pressure on subscriber ads or does it just generate more revenue? Well, every, the good news is everyone in the industry on the streaming side is taking pricing up. Um, and that's a good thing because everyone except Netflix is losing money in this industry. So getting pricing up is good. Um, what I would say is that all of these apps are so much cheaper um, than linear television that I think, at least in, in Western markets, their scope to take pricing up probably a bit more difficult than international markets. All right. Any other storyline in this report that investors should pay attention to? And we have to keep a note and note for our viewers. Netflix can be one of the most volatile stocks after earning when it comes to <laughs> mega cap. You're laughing. It's important. Sure. Though. I don't think everybody knows sure. that. We kind of know it here at CNBC. And I know you know it as an analyst, but it can be a very volatile stock. And it's obviously a big market mover, uh, pretty big weighting in the S&P and the NASDAQ 100. Yeah, I, would, I think the options market is implying about a 7% move on the earnings. So you're right to point out the volatility, Frank. So, I mean, what, what are your thoughts? Anything else that we should be looking for? Because when it comes to a stock this volatile, it seems like Average revenue per user is a big metric, but there's a lot of other things that may cause this stock to move. Yeah, I think it's going to be forward commentary. I, I think that's okay. going to be the main thing. If they walk back sort of expectations on the ad tier, that'll be bad. But if they tell a good story about what the future holds for the ad tier, I think, I think the stock will be okay. All right, Jason, Jason Bazinet, always great to see yep. you. Thanks for being here. Appreciate it. Yep, thank you. All right, we got a lot more to come here on Worldwide Exchange, including the one word that investors have to know today. But first... President Biden is in Israel at this hour, meeting with Benjamin Netanyahu, but canceling plans to meet with Arab leaders. We have a live report from the region coming up. Plus, it's not just Netflix. Tesla also set to report results after the close today. The one metric you need to watch coming up. And then later, Microsoft's billion-dollar office deal. You will never guess who just signed up. We have a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. Welcome back. Turning now to a developing story this morning. President Biden landing in Israel in the last hour, meeting with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu with plans to speak with the country's war cabinet later today. NBC's Jay Gray joins me now from Tel Aviv with the latest. Jay, good morning. Yeah, and Frank, good morning to you. The plans for this trip changed dramatically while the president was in the air with the explosion 
at that Gaza hospital killing hundreds. Look, he will meet with the war cabinet later today. He will not be having a summit, uh, summit with his Arab allies uh, and his trip to Jordan canceled uh, due to that explosion and a, and a period of mourning. And so that's something that uh, was seen as key and very important for this president's visit to try and keep the violence from spreading into a wider military conflict. He'd hope to talk with other leaders in the region and, and work on that situation as well as working on the need for humanitarian aid and getting that humanitarian aid through and across the Rafah border with Egypt. Now uh, that topic is going to be in jeopardy as well. So he will be meeting uh, with leadership, including the war cabinet here in Israel, as you talked about uh, the protests are continuing across the region after that blast at the hospital that we talked about. Uh, of course, Hamas is blaming that on an Israeli airstrike, of which there were uh, more than a dozen yesterday. But Israeli leaders say that that was a failed rocket launch by the Islamic Jihad, that they're not responsible. So, Jay, I also want to touch on another issue going on right now. Uh, Israel's northern border with Lebanon, uh, some tensions, obviously. What are the latest reports there? Yeah. Yeah, Frank, and, and Americans obviously being told not to travel to that region. There has been a lot of back and forth between what are now growing Israeli forces and equipment uh, along that border with Lebanon. There have been losses on both sides uh, with soldiers involved. And, and that's one of the fears of this thing escalating and spreading to another front and, and a wider military conflict. So that that's going to be uh, something that's watched very closely. And it's very concerning to see the fighting escalating there. All right. RJ Gray live in Tel Aviv. Jay, thank you very much, and you stay safe. All right, ahead here on Worldwide Exchange, Thanks. we have your big money movers and why United is one of the biggest laggards on the S&P 500 in the pre-market. Stay with us. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your big money movers. That's three stock stories in the morning. We begin with shares of United Airlines facing some turbulence. The company warning of lower current quarter profits from higher fuel costs and, and halted flights to Tel Aviv due to the ongoing Israel-Hamas war. This after United beat earnings and revenue estimates for the third quarter, benefiting from a surge in overseas trips this summer. Shares United down more than 4.5%. Don't miss an exclusive interview with United CEO Scott Kirby. That's today at 7.40 a.m. Eastern. J.B. Hunt shares also under some pressure. The transport company reporting a 30 percent dip in third quarter profit due to weak pricing and a slowdown in demand. Revenue also taking a hit down 18 percent with operating income in its intermodal business. That's container shipping falling by 41 percent. Those shares down over three and a half percent. And interactive broker shares are lower despite a third quarter earnings and revenue beat. The company reporting a more than 40 percent increase in earnings and nearly 45 percent rise in sales compared to just a year ago. Interactive brokers also posting a 21 percent increase in customer accounts and a nearly 30 percent rise in customer equity. Shares of interactive down almost 3 percent. 
We're now turning to the alternative energy space, the offshore wind industry facing a flurry of headwinds in its bid to gain momentum. This despite the Biden administration's very ambitious goals for alternative energy. Our Pippa Stevens is in Virginia Beach with a look at one project that's just getting off the ground. Pippa, good morning. Good morning, Frank. We got the chance to take a boat 27 miles off the coast right behind me yesterday. It was about a two-hour journey in order to see Dominion Energy's offshore wind site up close. The Coastal Virginia project is one of just two places in the U.S. that actually has turbines in the water, and they are massive, over 600 feet tall. Eventually, they're going to be over 170 turbines when the project is complete. And, you know, it's really hard to get a sense of the sheer scale until you're actually standing right under one, as well as the infrastructure and manpower required to drill one into the seabed. I caught up with G.T. Hall at Dominion's director of offshore wind while we were on the boat, and he told me the next phase of construction is about to begin. Uh, large pieces of equipment are shipping to the U.S. right now. Uh, those first uh, eight monopiles will actually arrive at the Portsmouth Marine Terminal later this week. In earnest, next year we'll begin the offshore uh, phase of construction. So you'll put in monopile base foundations. Um, you'll come back and, and add a transition piece, the big yellow uh, piece that you see in the background here. Uh, and then we'll add wind turbines. This project is not cheap, costing about $10 billion dollars. But it's getting a boost from the IRA with $3 billion recouped in tax incentives. Now, it's a pivotal time for offshore wind. The industry is facing a host of challenges, including rising rates and undeveloped supply chains, forcing some developers to renegotiate contracts or walk away from projects entirely. And for Dominion, Frank, this is another of their efforts in a push towards greener and cleaner energy. Well, Pippa, it looks like you had a good time out there on the boat. I'm, I'm just looking at those turbines. You're right. They just look humongous. I can't imagine actually being there. Um, I just want to talk overall. You mentioned that some projects, they're facing some significant issues. What's so different about this one? So the key here, Frank, is that Dominion Energy is a fully regulated utility. And what that means is that before they even started this project, they brought it to Virginia State's commissioner, their utility commissioner, who, who approved this project, approved their spending plan. And ultimately, this will come down to ratepayers. So Dominion forecasts about a $4 increase per month for Virginia ratepayers over the lifespan of this project. The projects up north, what we've seen is that those are not fully integrated utilities. There is a difference between generation owners and transmission owners. And so when you have a power purchase agreement, if you don't have a guaranteed offtake power price on the other side, then the costs can change. And so what we've seen most notably with Orsted is that they are not getting a high enough PPA, a high enough power offtake price in order to justify their higher costs from that supply chain. And so once again, the key here is that Dominion got approval ahead of time, and they say that about 90% of their costs are now locked in. All right, our Pippa Stevens, great reporting as always. Great to see you out there on the field on the money trail. All right, straight ahead here on Worldwide Exchange, much more on the American consumer. We're going to tell you how you should read yesterday's blowout retail report. Stay with us. It's right around 5.30 a.m. here in the New York City area, and there's a lot more ahead here on Worldwide Exchange. Here's what's still on deck. Stock seeking some fresh momentum with more earnings and Fed speakers ahead today. Futures are lower. 
Tesla among the companies set to report with the stock under some pressure as of late. We're going to tee up the key numbers to watch from the EV maker. And let's make a deal. Microsoft looking to team up with an unlikely partner in the cloud. It is Wednesday, October the 18th, 2023. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Collins. Let's get you ready to start your day. As always, we pick up the half an hour with a check on U.S. stock futures. Take a look. You can see they are in the red across the board. The Dow actually taking a leg lower, looking like it would open up about 65 points lower at this hour. As always, we say it's early. We're also keeping a close eye on the NASDAQ 100, which you can also see is in the red, as well as other chip stocks set to extend yesterday's losses on the back of those new U.S. restrictions on tech exports to China. Take a look right now at the broader chip sector. Um, we're seeing actually NASDAQ laggards, I apologize, but NVIDIA actually dragging down the NASDAQ 100, down 1.5%, heavy weighting in the, in the index, also seeing AstraZeneca down 2%, ASML down 1.5% broadly in the red across the board. That dropped rippling across the chip sector, as I mentioned, with names like Taiwan Semi, SK Hynix, and Lenovo Group falling between 1% and 10%. You see Lenovo really the hardest hit right now. SK Hynix seeing a rebound right now in the uh, pre-market, up almost 7%. We also want to get a check on the bond market. The two-year note uh, jumping its yield to the highest level since 2006, following yesterday's retail sales data. You can take a look right now. The two-year, that yield well above 5% at 5.18. The benchmark at 4.83, pretty close to its highs of this year. And also, we have to check energy. As always, WTI, the U.S. benchmark, taking a look right now. You can see it's moving higher this morning as well, up more than 3.5%, trading pretty close to 90 bucks a barrel. Brent crude, the international benchmark, pretty close to 93 bucks a barrel, also up uh, just about three and a half percent. That's your setup for the U.S. market. Now time to get a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. Our Bertha Coombs is back with those. Bertha, good morning. Hey, good morning, Frank. Microsoft and Amazon reportedly teaming up on a deal involving the cloud. According to Insider, Microsoft would bring Amazon on as a customer for its 365 cloud productivity tools. The report adding that the union would be worth over a billion dollars. Over the next five years, Amazon is expected to start setting up the new systems early next month. Carl Icahn is suing current and former board members of Illumina over its purchase of gene sequencing company Grail. According to reports, Icahn cites the company not getting regulatory approval for the deal as the motivation for the suit, saying it put Illumina in harm's way and has cost the company billions. The apparent move comes just days after European regulators ordered Illumina to divest Grail. And the federal government is probing General Motors over its self-driving cruise unit. The National Highway Transportation Safety Administration is looking at whether the division is taking proper steps to keep pedestrians safe. The agency says it received several complaints of people being hurt by the vehicles. Frank? Bertha, thank you very much. All right, we want to stick with autos right now. Tesla gearing up for a report for it to report its earnings this afternoon. The stock's been underperforming both the Nasdaq 100 and the broader market since October 5th when Tesla reported Q3 delivery numbers well below estimates and also announced price cuts in the U.S. for the Model 3 and the Model Y. Revenues forecast increased by 12 percent year over year, while EPS is expected to decline by 31 percent. Gross auto margin, which represents the efficiency of production, that's expected to come in at 18.6 percent this quarter compared to 26.8 percent last year. For more, let's bring in Craig Irwin, Roth Capital Senior Research Analyst. 
Great to have you here this morning. Great to have you here in the studio. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Let, let's pick up on this one. Gross auto margin. We have our Phil LeBeau on all the time. He says that's the metric to watch when it comes to Tesla. Give us a sense. Um, that decline. Do you expect it to be as, as bad as the estimates are? And what does that tell us about Tesla? So th- I look at the adjusted auto gross margin, taking out the ZEV credits and everything else. You know, that should fall by at least 100 basis points. You know, you've seen 20 to 25 percent price cuts this year. And they're going to put through more price cuts to make their, uh, their bogey 1.8 million units. Um, that means that keeps dropping. So last quarter stock hung in there because consensus was that was going to be a margin trough. Clearly, it wasn't the case. We were of that view the whole time. Question is, when does this stop? Does the bleeding continue into the end of 24? I don't know. All right, so you're calling this bleeding. Some of the bleeding you're talking about is the price cuts when it yep. comes to the Model 3 and the Model Y, both in the U.S. and in China. So yep. you're the analyst. Give us a sense. When does Tesla stop dropping prices? I think they're going to do it uh, the whole way through next year. I think Tesla's going to be putting through negative price cuts, um, and I think they have to do it to drive volume at this point. Clearly, there's a slowdown in the industry. It's impacting everyone. Tesla had, uh, you know, obviously negative unit growth sequentially and is having a lot of pressure. Um, They're not immune from this. So they're going to do everything they can to hold on to their market share and uh, remain the leader, which they, they will be. All right. So we're seeing some pressure on the numbers. That's what everybody seems to be expecting across the board. But if you don't mind, we had a conversation before we got the show on. You said there's going to be a little drama on this earnings call. We're not talking dancing robots this time. No. What's the drama that you're expecting? So, so the question is, you know, are we going to see earnings actually contract in 24? And people are going to be looking for bright crumbs around that. And, uh, you know, they're going to have to do a really good job defending things uh, to, to persuade people we're not going to see an earnings contraction in 24. This is a retail-driven stock. Um, it is extremely important that they keep driving sentiment. And, uh, you know, you could you could very easily see um, a flip in sentiment. And, you know, it's a buy side consensus long as far as a trade. Um, But many of them agree with me that it's egregiously overvalued and the people will be willing to punt very quickly. Using SAT words, egregiously overvalued. I went ahead on one other thing, the UAW strike. Bill Ford's been out saying it shouldn't be Ford and the U.S. automakers against each uh, and against the UAW, but they should all be teaming up against Tesla. Is this UAW strike? Is this a possible headwind for Tesla? Does this reduce the profit or the ability of the U.S. automakers to make autos or have their autos available in the EV sector? You know, I think the unions are likely to collaborate and cooperate with automakers long term. I mean, these are where they uh, it's where they butter their bread. Right. You know, this is a transition in the industry that's uh, that's inevitable. Um, And it's just a negotiation that's going on right now. You know, our president is obviously deeply involved in uh, looking for a positive solution here, you know, but there's there's change and all parties have to accept that change. All right. Before we let you go, price target and rating for Tesla? Neutral rating, $85 price target. Wait, 85? Yeah. It's trading at 253, right? It's egregiously overvalued. I did not say short it. I did not say short it, but it is egregiously overvalued. Craig, I think I buried the lead. Wow. All right. Craig Irwin, it's great (laughs) to have you here. Thank you for coming in the studio. Thank you. All right, we have a market alert for you this morning. we got some fresh comments from the Fed. Speaking with the Wall Street Journal, Philadelphia Fed President Patrick Harker says the central bank should extend its pause on interest rate increases. Harker, who is a voting member on the FOMC, cites growing evidence that higher borrowing costs will slow the economy despite recent signs of hiring and spending strength. Harker adding he thinks the Fed can likely wait until next year to decide whether the bank rate increases have done enough to keep inflation heading lower. Certainly something to watch there. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, the holiday season looking like it may not be as cheerful for Apple. The growing worries around its latest iPhone when, the, when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us.
All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. The holiday season is fast approaching, and this year it looks like it may not be a jolly one for Apple. New data revealing that after a strong start out of the gate, demand for its new iPhone 15 is now slipping. Our Steve Kovac joins us now with more. Steve, good morning. Just how much of a drop are we talking about? Yeah, good morning, Frank. Well, I got good news and bad news here. The good news, if you want a new iPhone this year, that is, you can get one in time for the holidays. The bad news, if you're an Apple investor, at least, demand appears to be slipping for the iPhone 15 lineup. That could make it harder for Apple to return to sales growth in this holiday quarter. Analysts have been tracking iPhone 15 availability since it launched last month. That means the percent of Apple stores that have phones available for pickup. It's the best gauge of demand we have, at least until Apple. Apple reports earnings. But while availability has been very limited during the first week or so post-launch, it's improved a lot in recent weeks, especially for the iPhone 15 Pro, which costs more and will need to sell well to make up for missed sales from a year ago. And that's the most important in China, a region accounting for as much as 20 percent of Apple sales. Bank of America analysts saying up to 30 percent of Apple stores had stock last week for the iPhone throughout the U.S., Canada, China and the rest of Asia. And Apple needs those markets to buy new iPhones this holiday quarter. Last year, factory shutdowns in China from COVID caused Apple to miss a lot of holiday sales. And that had a rippling effect throughout 2023, with Apple posting three quarters in a row of declining sales and likely a fourth when we get earnings in a couple weeks. Meantime, analysts at Jeffries saying this week, Huawei overtook Apple as the top smartphone brand in China after releasing a new flagship phone for the first time in several years just a few weeks ago. Now, there are two ways to look at this, Frank. Apple is now producing more iPhones, enough to satisfy demand better, or demand isn't holding up enough, especially in China, to get Apple back to that top-line growth. We'll get a little bit more data from this, Frank, on November 2nd when Apple reports earnings, and that'll include the first several days of those iPhone 15 sales, Frank. Yeah, certainly highly anticipated there. Uh, Steve, I want to bounce something off you. The Nikkei out with a new report saying that suppliers are telling them that Apple's actually forecasting that 2023 iPhone production is going to reach 225 million units. That will be flat year over year. Uh, what's your take on that? Yeah, and this is why the iPhone 15 Pro is so important, Frank, because they can sell either the same units or more or fewer units, but because they're charging more for those pro phones, especially that maximum, the top of the line with the big screen, that's $100 more than it was a year ago. And so the hope there is that even though they might sell fewer or about the same number on a unit basis, uh, revenue can grow that way. But again, if China demand can't hold up with competition from Huawei heating up, uh, that's going to be tough for them to pull off, Frank. All right. Certainly a lot to watch there, Steve. Thank you very much. Our Steve Kovac, live from the NASDAQ. Thanks. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, we have the one word that every investor needs to know today, plus the signals our next guest says have him taking a bearish outlook on the markets and the stocks that he's still able to find some opportunity in. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. Much more Worldwide Exchange coming up after this. All right. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. It's time now for your WEX wrap up. We begin with President Biden calling off the Jordan leg of his Mideast trip today after Arab leaders canceled a planned trilateral summit following yesterday's deadly explosion at a hospital in Gaza. The president touching down in Israel and meeting with, Pen- with Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu in the last hour. All right. Now to China. The economy there grew 4.9 percent year over year in the third quarter, topping expectations and its second quarter read. 
And following NVIDIA's drop yesterday, Asian semiconductor stocks selling off overnight after the White House expanded efforts to limit China's access to advanced chip tech. This morning, China says new export curbs violate the principles of the market economy and equate to what they call, quote, forced decoupling. Ohio Congressman Jim Jordan, he'll be at it again, once again today, after failing to secure enough votes yesterday to become the next Speaker of the House. Second round for voting is set for 11 a.m. Eastern time. And the Federal Reserve is reportedly preparing a proposal that will reduce fees that banks receive when consumers shop with debit cards. The central bank will hold a vote next week on that proposal. And shares of China's largest EV maker, BYD and Warren Buffett, a Warren Buffett favorite, Surging in overnight trading, the company topping estimates for its most recent quarter and is forecasting strong growth in the months ahead. We're also watching share of United Airlines. They're under pressure after warning higher fuel costs and a pause on flights to Israel would hit current quarter profits. Do not miss an exclusive interview with United CEO Scott Kirby. That's today at 7.40 a.m. Eastern. Here's what to watch today on the econ front. We get housing starts and building permits figures ahead of the open. Another busy day of earnings with results from Morgan Stanley, Procter & Gamble, Netflix, Tesla, Las Vegas Sands, and more on tap. Then at 2 p.m. Eastern, we get the Fed Beige Book. And speaking of the central bank, several officials speaking today, including Governors Christopher Waller, Michelle Bowman, and Lisa Cook, as well as New York President John Williams and Philadelphia President Patrick Harker. Ahead of all that, let's take another look at U.S. stock futures with the Dow riding a three-session win streak. This morning, however, the Dow under a bit of pressure, actually hitting its lows of the morning, down about 72 uh, also seeing the S&P and the NASDAQ in the red. Despite the two-year note yielding, yield surging to its highest level since 2006 on the heels of yesterday's blockbuster retail report. Joining me now is Gabelli Funds Portfolio Manager Chris Morangi. Chris, good morning. Great to have you here. Great to be here. All right, so we've been talking about some mixed signals when it comes to the consumer. You are a value investor, so I would think the consumer plays a pretty big part in your investing thesis. What's your take on the consumer and their ability to continue spending into the holiday season? Well, it's been wrong to bet against the consumer this year, uh, and we have not done that. We've uh, benefited from investments in live entertainment and sports and travel. But it's hard to see how that continues, given the mix of higher rates, gas prices, student loan repayments, and maybe depressed animal spirits. So we're a little cautious on the consumer, notwithstanding the strong retail sales report yesterday. So, by the way, you pushed back on us calling you a bear. You said you're, you're optimistically cautious. Well, something like that. Something yes. like that. I'm a, we're making up new terms. So. You're actually looking at a lot of stocks or several stocks that have some consumer exposure, but you think they're immune to a possible downturn in consumer spending. Um, one of them is a pretty interesting pick here, uh, Madison Square Garden. Madison Square Garden Sports. So Sports, it's, one, it's, yeah. it's one of the three Dolan companies that are public. This is the owner of the Knicks and the Rangers. As New York sports fans turn away from baseball and maybe football, the Knicks tip off next week. You're buying, it's one of the few opportunities to buy a public sports franchise. You're getting it for about $4.5 billion. The Knicks and the Rangers worth at least $8, $8 billion based on other transactions. Yeah, I want to clarify, ticker MSGS. Correct. So it's Madison Square Garden Sports, not the other MSG ticker. Um, I also want to ask you about the waste industry. So you're saying that's going to be immune uh, to uh, slow down in consumer spending for pretty obvious reasons. We all have trash. Sure. I mean, it's, yeah. been, it's been fairly acyclical. It's been a darling during the, these inflationary times as most of their pricing is inflation indexed. Not cheap, but very high quality companies that are buying back stock. All right. Your next one I have a question about. It's NEE, Next Era Energy. We had our Pippa Stevens out at a wind farm earlier today. Um, as yields have moved higher, utilities have generally been under pressure. Why is this utility a smart play? Well, so we may be a little early here, but obviously utilities in general have been crushed by higher rates. There's also been some impact from funding new projects. Nextera is one of the biggest utilities in the U.S. They've, they're in the, probably the best jurisdiction in Florida, 60% of their business. But they will benefit from this continued secular growth of investment in renewables. They're the largest renewable developer in the world. 
Uh, and it's not your father's or your mother's or your grandmother's utility. Not only are you getting a dividend, but you're getting earnings growth, which makes it competitive with bond yields. All right. Shares down 35 percent year to date, though. So your last one, you're, you're kind of on brand all day. It's in the cell phone area. It's actually AMT, American Tower. Yeah. They provide towers for cell phones. So it doesn't matter if less iPhones get spent. I don't think anybody's putting their cell phone down. Uh, that, that's true. And that's one of the beauties of this business. There are basically three companies in the U.S. that dominate this industry. They try to hang uh, radios from the major carriers on their towers, uh, highly contracted, also been crushed by rates and a slowdown in, F- in 5G spending. I think 5G spending uh, picks up, continues. It's, it's a mega trend and benefit probably from a, a topping out of rates. I want to pivot to you. Uh, in a previous life, you were a media analyst. I know you're a, a focus value uh, analyst right now, and you focus on, on managing a value fund. But previous life uh, media, Netflix reports coming up after the bell. In the lens of you as a value investor, how do you view Netflix and also its valuation as a, a kind of a lofty valuation? Yeah, so obviously Netflix kicking off media earnings, a lot of trends in that sector. You've got a cyclical slowdown in advertising, the secular trend to direct to consumer, as well as the impact of the two strikes, one of which is settled. Um, you know, Netflix, unquestionably, going to be a winner long term. Great culture, great management. Valuation is not as attractive for us today. We probably should have loaded up the boat a year and a half ago when it was 200. Um, but, uh, you know, they've got some probably some growth challenges going forward. All right. So I also want to talk to you about the broader macro picture right now. Um, obviously, we have you know, international tensions between the Israel-Hamas war. We also have Russia and China uh, connecting, saying that they're basically an alternative to the U.S. that they say is an agent of chaos. Um, with all this going on geopolitically, how does that shape your view of investing overall? Yeah, obviously, you know, it's hard to get past some of the uh, human tragedy here. But um, we do think about some of the near term impacts on, on the dollar, on oil. And as I mentioned earlier, on, on animal spirits. I mean, uh, you know, this the c- consumer propensity to spend has been very high. Is that impacted by what they're seeing, not just abroad, but at home, obviously, with some of the mess in Washington? Um, so, again, it, it, it contributes to my more cautious, not bearish, but more cautious more outlook. Cautious view. What's your, what's your outlook for today, the, the trading day ahead? I can't predict what's going to happen today, uh, but if I had to guess, you know, probably some, some more weakness as we get through earnings here. All right, Chris Morangi, great to have you here as always. Uh, I want to take one quick look at the futures right now before we let everybody go. Uh, take a look. Futures in the red across the board. The Dow down about 70 points right now. The S&P and the NASDAQ also in the red. Um, we continue to watch the Treasury market, as we mentioned several times today. The two-year, the yield on the two-year right now, uh, very close to 5.2% at 5.18%, hitting multi-year highs. The 30-year, the long bond, also very close to a 5% yield. And also the energy market, seeing big moves to the upside there. Uh, WTI up 3% right now. Brent crude, the international benchmark, trading at 92.45 a barrel. And also, we want to hit on a story that we just told you about just a short time ago. We got some fresh comments from the Fed this morning. Speaking with the Wall Street Journal, Philadelphia Fed President Patrick Harker saying, the central bank should extend its pause on interest rate increases. Remember, Har- Harker is a voting member of the FOMC, and he's citing growing evidence that higher borrowing costs will slow the economy despite recent signs of hiring and spending strength. Harker adding he thinks that the Fed can likely wait until early next year to decide whether the bank's rate increases have done enough to keep inflation lower. That's going to do it for us here in Worldwide Exchange. We've got Squawk Box coming up next. Thanks for watching.
You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.